Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. I want to start by reading uh, some scripture today. <clears throat> For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. It's chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. So within each of our mouths, church, the same mouths that we just sang songs with, the, the mouths that we pray to God with, and, and the mouths that we lead people to God with, with his gospel, is also the power this evil power to deny God and to destroy and derail our lives and, and quite frankly, the lives of everyone around us. And this dangerous muscle and organ and tool is not morally neutral. And we need to understand this. Our tongue is not morally neutral. It is evil, deadly, and uncontrollable. Yet we must control it. We must control our tongue and then repurpose it for holy purposes. Now, we've spent the last few weeks learning about uh, having a true saving faith that is not dead by what we believe and by what we do, right? By our faith and by our works. And yet there's another work that's working against us. There is someone who would and is trying to undermine our relationship that we have with God. And that is our own very tongues. Who can tame it? Back in James 1.26, he said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. True religion controls the tongue, right? True religion controls the tongue. And so today, church, this morning, we're going to learn just how horrible and sick and twisted our tongues can be. Not so that we surrender to it, not so that we just use it as an excuse because James said that it's evil, but so that we can own it. So we would say, yes, absolutely, the tongue is evil and own it so we can confess it, own up to it, bring it before God, and let God tame it. First and foremost, we must understand that no human can tame the tongue. And so today's text will be James chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Our sermon is titled, Taming the Flaming Tongue with Fire. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, it's true. <clears throat> Lord, you know that um, all of us, Lord, but even me, Lord, I confess 
that I've said things this week that were not holy, that were not righteous, that, that didn't point people to you, Lord, that were unnecessary and, and I didn't control what came out of my mouth. That shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that I should come up here and preach these, these holy, beautiful words, Lord, that were inspired by you and turn around and, and say things with the same tongue, Lord, that aren't what you've called me to say. And I think that goes for all of us, Lord. So, although some of us may be better at controlling our tongue, Lord, we all stumble. And so this morning, may you convict us, Lord, that this is something we need to take seriously, that you take it seriously. And I think it's going to be obvious that James takes it very seriously. And, and, and we do this, Lord, because we love you and we want to honor you with every part of us, Lord, including taking control of every part of us for your purposes, including the tongue, Lord. Help us to do that, Lord, by your powerful Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, to the glory of Jesus, Lord. Amen. So we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. Kind of an interesting place to start. It's kind of like I thought we were talking about the tongue, but we are. But James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, of course, James is talking um, in the context of the church. So he's, when he talks about teachers here, um, it'd be like preachers today. That, that is who he's talking to, those who handle the word of God. Now notice, please, that James does not say that no one should become teachers. He's just saying, like, pump the brakes on it a little bit, everybody who wants to be a teacher. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a problem in our society anymore, people wanting to go into ministry. But his point is that this position should be entered and executed, understanding that there will never be a position under as much scrutiny or by such a higher power or with so much at stake. Like, why are you guys in a rush to do this? This is horrible. That's what he's saying. Like, there's a sense about preaching that, that is terrifying, right? It is absolutely terrifying. It is this reason Saturday nights are often restless nights for the preacher. I think I got up out of my bed nine times last night. <laughs> Just Saturday nights are so restless. There's so much at stake. It's the same reason, even as I preach from a manuscript, every week there's usually fresh pen on my manuscript that I wrote on my way here. I can't mess this up. It is too important. I must edit it to the very last second. It's no wonder why James then gives a warning about teaching. And I think there's two things we could take from his warning here. And that is one, his primary reasons is he doesn't want anybody to become a teacher for the wrong intent or for the, with the wrong content. And so don't teach from the wrong intent. And I, and I think this is really the thrust of what James is saying here. And, and you may counter church, well, who cares? As long as he's saying what's true, like, what do I care? It's like, you know, having a professional, you know, they may not be the nicest person, but if they're doing the job right? Like a lot of athletes, right? <laughs> and I agree. And so even Paul in Philippians 1.18, doesn't he say that same thing? Paul says, what do I care? 
all, all these teachers, yeah, they're really mean to me. They're not nice people. But hey, at least the gospel is being preached. So God can use ill intent with the right content. He can use that because it's the power of the gospel to save people. The gospel is what's true and what's powerful. The problem is, woe to that person. How long can you seriously do that? How long can you have the wrong intent and have the right content? Well, not very long. The problem is when you're motivated by the attention and affection of people, you are not going to preach faithfully. You can do it for a while, but you will come across something that you are then going to edit or not speak or not give the entire truth to. That was the problem throughout the Old Testament and the prophets who just said nice things all the time. And God's really upset, like, I didn't say that. That's not going to help my people, just telling them nice things. It's like the rabbis that Jesus taught. Like rabbis that were taught by God, Jesus. And they couldn't hear Jesus speak because they were more concerned with hearing the praise of everybody around them. They couldn't even hear God. At this point in history, men wanted to be rabbis, not because they loved God. It's crazy to think about. They didn't go into ministry because they loved God or loved people. They loved the praise of people. Like, this is the best position to have. It's like being a movie star and an athlete and a politician all in one. Like, we have no idea what this was like, especially in our modern uh, Western culture. To be a teacher meant that you were invited to everything. Not only that, you had the best seats to everything. You had the best piece of the cake. You had the best of everything. All the affection and respect of the people. In fact, for, during this period, Rabbi went from, from really just meaning teacher at some point to meaning great one, great person. You are just great. Like That's their title. Here comes James, the great person. Who doesn't want to be that person? And that's the problem James has. Everybody wants to be that person. Everybody's coming to James. We want to teach. We want to be the great person. We want to be loved and respected. Who wouldn't want that? Well, James says, you don't want that. If your intent isn't love for God and love for his people, you don't want that because it's going to be under the scrutiny of God. Everything down to your heart and your motives, it will be found out. So don't do this, right? You've probably heard pastors say that uh, to people aspiring to ministry. If you could do anything else, do that. It is so difficult. And secondly, don't teach the wrong content, which is also a problem. Look, maybe you do love God and you do love people. Praise God, that's awesome. But if you don't know the content backwards and forwards, and aren't willing to stand in front of people and speak on behalf of God, thus saith the Lord, don't speak. Like, what are you doing? Don't go up there. Um, you, you, as a teacher, I mean, you could just say something slightly wrong and send people on a completely wrong path for years, if not the rest of their lives. You can lead people to believe they are saved when they are not. And James is echoing the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 18, 6, where Jesus was surrounded by children. And Jesus said, But whoever 
causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, Jesus doesn't say anything about intent or sincerity there, right? Like, you could have, like, the best, best intent, best motives, but what does he say? If you say anything, if you do anything that makes people not understand me, or come directly to me, it would, you'd be better off being drowned by your neck, being dragged to the bottom of the sea than have to face me if you teach someone that. And I'm just going to say it, church, I'm going to be honest. Like, it's terrifying. It is so sobering. It's crazy. That is why it angers me and breaks my heart to see so many uh, false teachers in our world who let culture dictate what they're going to teach to people. Jeopardizing the spiritual health of those under their care, first off, but man, what those people have in store, it scares me. You see, their intentions rob them of the ability to understand their content. And that's why I say you, you, you can't just have, you have to have the right intent because at some point your intent will rob you of the ability to understand the content. At some time, at some point in our culture, the, these pastors misunderstood the content of the gospel. That it wasn't about them, that it wasn't about them being liked, wasn't about them being cool, wasn't about them being respected anymore. That's not our culture, Right? And so they miss the fact that it's okay for them to be rejected and spit on and hated as long as somebody hears the gospel and is saved. Like that's their job, not to be respected. That is why I love being here at Vanguard and we believe in an exegetical approach to preaching and going verse by verse. Difficult, controversial texts. Do I shy away from them? No. Instead, we learn and grow together. And I realize this is such an unusual verse because this is one of the few verses in the Bible, and I understand it, it's an unusual position to be in. You're listening to the preacher preach about preaching, right? And so what's the application to you, right? What's the application to you guys right now? The application is you guys have to pray for me. Church, pray for me. Pray for your elders. Pray for anybody who comes up and is teaching you the word of God. Pray that our tongues would speak truth, that when we stand before God someday, even with the sermon this morning, that God can inspect my sermon and say, yes, good, good job. We don't want a fate worse than choke drowning. Like, worse than that. I don't want that. Pray for me. Pray for all of us. Praying for your teachers is also in your best interest. Is it in my best interest? Yes, I'm speaking out of that, but it's also in your best interest. You don't want somebody who's going to tell you everything you want to hear exactly the way you want to hear all the time, telling you you don't want that. 
And now, as we continue to read in James, now he's going to start talking about and warning about the tongue. Just how powerfully evil and uncontrollable the tongue is. And he's going to do this by presenting three examples about how the fact the tongue is so small, it's like, oh, how, how much damage can a tongue do? And he's going to show you exactly how that's possible. So we're going to look at three ways our tongue controls us. The first is our tongue controls us like a horse in verses 2 and 3. For we all stumble in many ways, it's all of us, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And so the horse is a magnificent force of power. Has anybody been around a horse? Like, am I the only one who's scared of them? They're so powerful. Like, yeah, I don't want that thing to accidentally bump into me, destroy me. Yet despite that power, and, and, and um, to put me in my place, I have also seen a very young girls who have been on top of that giant horse with a bit in its mouth, able to control it. Even make horses dance. All because of that little bit. Horses completely controlled. But our problem is, as we read this, our problem is twofold. One, our tongue is that bit that controls us. right? That bit that controls our whole lives and our whole bodies. But our tongue is also the horse. It is that wild, uncontrollable beast that will drag us wherever it wants. It will drag us to hell if we let it. Next, our tongue controls us like a ship. Verses 4 and 5. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And keep in mind, James hasn't even seen a big ship. Right? He's talking about what he's seen. You can just look at our ships today. This metaphor has aged excellently, because we still have, we have giant ships now that are controlled by what? Relatively still small rudder. Now those of you uh, who, who love history, that's not me, um, but you might remember um, in 1939 that Germany had a great ship. Does anybody, anybody remember what that ship was called? Or the class, it was actually the class of ship. It was called the Bismarck. And so that's actually not what the ship was called. That was the class of ship, the Bismarck. Now, it was meant to destroy and control the seas, and which it did for a few months. After it was set into motion, Nobody wanted to encounter that. They would send ships out in planes just to figure out where it was. You don't want to come near a Bismarck. But many historians believe, and I think pretty much agree on now, that the Bismarck was sunk accidentally. One of the allies, as they were just firing with every bullet they had to try to defeat it, hit the rudder of the ship. And so the rudder got stuck in one direction. And so that insanely powerful Bismarck just started turning in circles and became a sitting duck. And that's how the greatest battleship 
you know, I think still in war history got sunk because the rudder was slightly bent. Like so, our tongue is powerful enough to direct our entire lives like the rudder of a ship. Yet sometimes, as mentioned in this verse, because of boasting, we can get caught up with boasting on stuff and saying stuff that isn't true, that isn't correct, and all of a sudden, our whole lives, because of our tongue, we're chasing ourselves, trying to make up for all these lies, right? All, all these checks that we've sent out that we can't cash. We, we, our tongue puts us in a circle that we can't escape out of. We just keep on spinning and sinning out of control. Now, the ideal situation is that rudder is controlled by a wheel by the pilot. That's how that should happen. Yes, the rudder is powerful, but it should be under the control of the pilot. That's not the image James points here. The, the, what James is saying is the tongue is out of control. So he, you can't, he, that pilot can't stop that wheel. And so it is with our tongue. Once it gets going, and if you've ever been in an argument, you know this is true. You know you want it to stop, and you can't stop it. That wheel is spinning, and you can't stop it. Which leads to the third way our tongue controls us, which is like fire in verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> How great a forest is set ablaze, ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. Now, I don't think I need to explain to anybody living in California, fires are destructive. The point that James is trying to make is that a fire, as insanely destructive as they can be, are started by a tiny spark. Right, that's all it takes. You don't have to have a blowtorch to, to burn down half of California. You just need a spark from anything, a sparkler. And you can absolutely destroy like the way our tongue can destroy, destroy relationships, families, businesses, and even churches. It's true. Even if a problem isn't necessarily an issue of words, and, and, but it's an issue of actions, most actions you could still trace back to somebody's words, right? For example, if you look at churches being destroyed by affairs, right? affairs that destroy families and churches, well, how do they start? The tongue, words, right? Just one misplaced word that just starts something that destroys everybody. All of us here today could destroy our lives with our tongues. We could all go out and say something that could just ruin our lives, whether probably about somebody else or something. We can destroy our careers. We can destroy our marriages, destroy instantly by something that we say. Even me, after spending large portions of my life serving, sacrificing to become a pastor, I could say something in this sermon right now that could end this church and end my career. And I could do it by accident. That's how powerful the tongue is. The point of these three examples is to understand that the tongue is very small, yet very powerful, yet it must be controlled. 
but it can't be controlled. The tongue cannot be controlled. Verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is reckless, restless, evil, poisonous, uncontrollable. At best, the tongue is half-tamed. I mean, I'm, like, I'm going to be honest. I've heard you guys talk. You know, we can control our tongue sometimes, especially Sunday morning, right? We can control our tongues when we want to for a little bit. But if you believe the word of God, as we do in verse 2, it already says we're going to stumble. You are going to stumble. And this poses a serious problem because James back in 126 says a true religion, that person who has a true religion is able to control their tongue. You don't control your tongue, you are not saved, you are deceived. So what do we do? Because <laughs> right? now, now he's at the point where he's like, yeah, but you can't control it. And right about now, you would expect James to resolve this problem to give you a solution. That's the way biblical authors write, right? James, Paul, everybody, pose the problem, solve the problem. All right, that's, that's preaching 101. James would fail that class. He doesn't provide a solution. He doesn't relieve the tension. He doesn't suggest a remedy. His purpose is for you to be uncomfortable. He's okay with that. Much like I am, I'm okay. If you're uncomfortable right now, praise God. This is not a comfortable, comforting text. This is put our hands over our mouths, we don't ever want to talk again text. And yet, I believe that this can't be possibly be the conclusion that James has in mind, that we shouldn't talk. Because he's already said, well, not all should become teachers, which means some should become teachers that will be speaking. He's already said, uh, uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Well, that requires speaking. So the application can't be, don't talk. With that in mind, I believe that he's already given us the answer. And that is back in verses 1, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, where he said, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let, everyone, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Who has that memorized? A lot of us, right? I'm not normally going to quiz you every sermon, just, but you still should try to memorize all these. And so what's interesting now, um, just to give you a little, like looking at, at, at um, the book of James, a step back is that James introduces a lot of topics in the first two chapters. And then what he does is he comes back and then really comes down and, and brings those subjects to light, spends much more time on them. And I think that's what we have here. At the beginning of chapter 3, what we've read is James slowing us down. He's slowing down our talking. If you didn't listen to him when he said be quick to listen and slow to speak, 
you are now slow to speak, right? He has now done that for us, if not shut us down completely. Nobody wants to say anything at this point, so now we're listening like he wanted to to begin with. And he's warned us that the human tongue is unrighteous and destructive and voids our religion. But I believe that's the whole point of what he's, what he's doing here. The whole point is he is pointing us to religion, right? Our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is the answer to our uncontrollable tongue. Because remember what James says. James says no human being can control the tongue. And so all of his examples about how out of control the tongue is, he says you can't control it, which is true. That's why I said we have to know that first off. We can't control the human tongue. Humans can't do this. That's why I believe James has already given us the answer. With that in mind, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at three ways the word, the Bible, tames our words, our tongue. And all of these are, are found um, back in, in chapter 1, verse 21. And so, step one to tame the tongue is to fight fire with fire. Fight fire with fire. Yes, I'll explain that. And so, going back again to, to, to 127, this requires receiving the word with meekness. This requires us approaching Scripture humbly, coming to the word to listen to what it says. Instead of talking over it, come to the word, listen to what it says. It turns out there's somebody who's already had this experience of realizing how evil their tongue is and a solution was already provided for him. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, we find Isaiah before the throne of God and we read, this is Isaiah speaking, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah quickly realizes he's convicted. What is he convicted of immediately? His tongue. Right? He's not even thinking about all the horrible things he's probably done in his life. The thing that's convicted in the presence of God first and foremost are the words that come out of his mouth as well as those around him. And he casts woes on himself. Like, woe is me. I'm done for. This is it. Game over. That's what he's saying. Like, this is the end of the line for me. I know how holy you are now, and now I realize how unholy my tongue is. This is the end of the line for me. And I think that's exactly what James wants us to feel. And so what I want us to notice, like James has been begging us to notice with his imagery, is that we have to own up to the fact that our tongue is unclean and wicked and evil. We must confess this. The first step to controlling the tongue is confessing that we can't control it. Just like Isaiah did. <laughs> step one, own your stuff. Confess to God, this tongue is crazy, I can't control it. 
No human can. No human can. But God can. And so we must go to God. See, God's answer to Isaiah wasn't, well, you know, sometimes, sometimes your tongue's not too bad, Isaiah. Don't feel too bad. It's not always bad. Don't feel bad, Isaiah. No. He doesn't comfort Isaiah for his confession. Once the confession, confession um, takes place, God goes into action mode. You have confessed this, all right, let's take care of this. There's no comfort there. This must be purged. You are correct to confess that. Let's deal with this. And so God atones for his sin of the tongue, making it pure on that altar with the burning coal from the altar. And I agree with the majority of scholars who say that coal from the altar represents the sacrifice of Christ, the atoning work of Christ who took God's fiery wrath for our sin, that all-consuming holy fire of God for us. Jesus died for the sin of our tongues. And so the first step is to own up to that. We need to take our tongue to the altar. Right? We need to burn our tongue, in a good way, on the altar of the cross by confessing to Christ that we need him to heal our tongue, to purify it, and therefore make it holy and repurpose it for holy purposes. The second way to control the uncontrollable tongue is to stomp out the blaze. Stomp out the blaze. Put out the fire that's destroying everything. Maybe this might take some work for some of us, but I'm sure you've said something to somebody that is in some way hurt a relationship. You may have not seen somebody in a while because of a conversation you had or, or maybe something you said and you don't want to have to confront that person. Again, in chapter 1, verse 27, it says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And so, of course, we are talking about repentance. Right? Repentance, like confession, amen, confess, but also, you have to stop doing that thing. Right? That's, what, that's what being sorry is. Not, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it again. And so repentance. And so just for a couple of examples, this means controlling. It means not lying anymore. It means not calling evil good and good evil. Uh, giving relentless and undue verbal abuse, harsh humor even sometimes. Uh, silly boasting, unnecessary undue criticism, gossip, right? Saying stuff when people isn't around. Flattery, only saying it when they're around. Fighting, being angry, manipulating. It only takes a spark of any of that speech to become uncontrollable, to burn your entire life down. You can't do those things and say you have a true religion. It makes sense, right? You see James's argument now? How can you just be ruining everything every time you open your mouth and say you've encountered a holy God that, that your, your tongue has been atoned for? You see these in verses 9 through 12, talking about our tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's like we're cursing God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If our religion is true, our tongue will show it. Right? If our religion is true, our tongue will show it. It is with a controlled tongue by the grace of God that we spread our religion. And so lastly, we look at the third way to control the uncontrollable tongue is by setting hearts ablaze. Which means to share the gospel. Share the gospel. We are to share the beautiful word of God that reveals his beauty, his glory, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which is able to save souls. Right? The gospel not only saves lives, it redeems our tongues. I don't know about you, but that's one of the first things I notice about someone when they become a Christian. Something seems different about you. Oh, that's right, you're not a jerk. Right? Just, oh, okay, you're, oh, you're not cussing. That's why I've never heard this, this speech from you before. And so instead of using the tongue to destroy, we can use it to create, to usher in the kingdom of God, to make people them best selves by bringing them to God and allowing them to embrace God as their father and their friend, becoming part of the church family. And because your tongue is under control, James says the rest of your life will follow. Isn't that interesting? Now let's go back quickly to Isaiah 6 again. After the next verse, after he's received that atonement in verse 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Whoa. That's the same guy? That's woe is me guy? That's like covering his head, woe is me? Like a second later, he's like, yeah, send me. Right? That, that's the power of Jesus. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of, of confessing your sin and have it being atoned for. Completely different person. A tongue controlled by God is ready to be used by God. Right? Yeah, here I am, send me. I'm ready. Which is to the glory of God, which brings joy to his children. And in conclusion, church, the reality of the wickedness of the tongue is that I believe many of us here have a true religion. And you are genuinely Christian. And you, a lot of us, have done a great job of controlling your tongue. But again, I believe when James says, like, you're going to stumble, that you're going to stumble. And, and that's okay. We're going to fail. But while our tongues may be inconsistent, our standing in Christ is not. And so we talked about last week, how can I do something unrighteous and still be justified? Well, that's when we come back to faith and works. Right, that's why works are so important. <laughs> we're not just saying we believe something, we're showing we believe something. Because we are going to stumble and we are going to fail, but if we have a life that shows that God is working on our hearts, we have those works that show the work of God, then we don't have to worry about that. Yes, we're going to stumble. It's okay. We're on a path of sanctification. It is a process. 
God's work shows in our works. God's work is heard in our tongue. Therefore, church, let us confess and repent and repurpose our tongues. Quite frankly, for the joy of everybody around us, they all want that, but also to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. God, you know, I, I met everybody here outside of my family recently. They might think I have a pretty decent tongue. They have no idea. They have no idea what you know. How horrible and reckless and destructive my tongue has been throughout my life. And yet you have repurposed it, Lord, by the atonement of Christ. And I ask that, Lord, for that, that power to be evident in all of our lives. That we have encountered you that we've become undone and just miserable before your holiness, on our faces before your holiness, so that you can lift us up, so that you can atone for our sin, so that you can make us pure, so that you could send us out on mission. Sending us out on mission, knowing all of us that we fail every week, if not every day and hour, but that we are secure in Christ because of his work. And we're not gonna lose our salvation but we are sent out to preach, Lord, your good news, that you are redeeming everything, even people like us, people with wicked tongues, Lord, that you are recreating us, that you are recreating everything for your glory, Lord. May you desire, Lord, to use Vanguard for that purpose, Lord. May we be righteous instruments, Lord, to your glory and to our joy, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.